Welcome to Not Your Pastor's Pulpit, the place where ordinary people proclaim an extraordinary Jesus. Hey, Alex. Today we have a sermon from a good buddy of mine. His name's Jason Katarski, former uh, punk rocker, mm-hmm. former pastor, board game inventor. The man of many, many. Man of many talents. And now he's a lay pastor at Mars Hill Bible Church over on the west side of the state of Michigan. He his his little sermon entry here is pretty awesome because he really highlights and focuses on those paradoxical statements from Jesus like if you want to be first then you have to be the last. If you want to go up, if you want to ascend, then you have to make yourself lowly and go down. Yeah, a focus and on humility is what so, I was pulling from it. Yeah, just so many just these and I love the way he phrases it. These little wisdom bombs that he's like they're gonna go off at the right time that yep. Jesus Jesus is planting these wisdom bombs so good yeah I'm excited to bring you this one guys we hope you enjoy it Change can happen. This is what we long for, isn't it? That is our hope, that we believe there is another way, a better way. We dream of a better world than the one we often see when we look around us. And I believe that's one of the reasons that we gather on Sundays as communities, as the church, to be reminded that there is another way. And I'm going to look at a passage of scripture that I think can teach us something about the path to this better way that we long for. The passage is in the book of Mark, and it's a collection of three little stories of Jesus interacting with his disciples. The first part of the passage foreshadows Jesus' death and resurrection. And then he squashes some squabbling with hard, fast, spiritual truth. And then in the third part of the passage, Jesus nudges his people a little bit further out of their comfort zone. So let's take a look at Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 41. This is from the message paraphrase. Leaving there, they went through Galilee. He didn't want anyone to know their whereabouts, for he wanted to teach his disciples. He told them, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed to some people who want nothing to do with God. They will murder him, and three days after his murder, he will rise alive. They didn't know what he was talking about, but were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was safe at home, he asked, what were you discussing on the road? And the silence was deafening. They had been arguing with one another over who among them was greatest. He sat down and summoned the twelve. So you want first place? Then take the last place. Be the servant of all. He put a child in the middle of the room. Then cradling the little one in his arms, he said, Whoever embraces one of these children as I do embraces me and far more than me, God who sent me. John spoke up. Teacher, we saw a man using your name to expel demons and we stopped him because he wasn't in our group. Jesus wasn't pleased. Don't stop him. No one can use my name to do something good and powerful and in the next breath cut me down. So when we pick up the story, Jesus here is is traveling with his disciples as he was known to do. And he figures it was a great opportunity for a teaching moment. So he does what he does and he teaches. He told them this. The son of man is about to be betrayed to some people who want nothing to do with God and they will murder him. And three days after, he will rise alive. And it says they didn't know what he was talking about. They didn't get it. 
And I hope I'm not the only one that has been in that place before, gathering with a bunch of people and someone says something really profound and it flies right over my head. I've been in that position more often than I'd like to admit. But I don't think it's that I'm too dumb to get it. At least I hope that is the truth. I think it's really that this is the way wisdom works sometimes. This statement from Jesus is more like a seed he's planting, something that will bloom in its own time. It kind of reminds me of when I was a young boy that, that didn't really understand why my grandfather would need me to help him plant potatoes in the backyard garden when I could be doing something super fun like riding my bike or climbing trees. Kind of one of those, you don't get it now, but one day you'll thank me for this situations. And then, you know, before I knew it, Grandpa was gone, and all I'm left with is a few memories of his ethic of hard work and value that he placed on being present with those he loved, and and from that time that we just spent together planting potatoes. So here I think Jesus is planting a seed. It's a wisdom bomb that will go off one day, and we know it must be an important seed he's planting because this theme of his death and resurrection is something that he's revisiting from back up in in chapter 8. See, this isn't the first time he tried to, to get his people to, to see what was coming, and it's not the first time the disciples missed it. They didn't get it. And they were afraid to ask more about it, so they just kept walking along and occupied themselves with other matters until Jesus speaks up again. He asked them, what were you talking about on the road? And the silence was deafening because they had been arguing with one another over who among them was the greatest. So we're walking along. Jesus is with them, and and they're starting to talk about who is the best. Just your typical ego-fueled locker room chit-chat session. And I picture this could have been totally maddening to Jesus. He continued to patiently try to teach them about his kingdom way, about the world that he's bringing to life in their midst, that, that has these everlasting qualities, a new world that's springing right up in the midst of this world, and here they are squabbling about who's better than who. And I have to wonder about their motivation for this conversation. But when I look at my own life, and the lives of those who are people in positions of power, people who have something to lose, I think it's easy to live in fear that you might actually lose whatever it is you have to lose. So coming out on top is one way of putting yourself at ease. Because if you're on top, that means that there are others below you who who feel a little bit... So you feel a little bit better about yourself as long as you aren't down there with those people. But Jesus speaks up. Maybe maybe he's had enough of this conversation and he sees it as another teachable moment. You want first place? Then take the last place. Be the servant of all. And he put a child in the middle of the room and cradling the little one in his arms, he said, Whoever embraces one of these children as I do embraces me and far more than me, God who sent me. So saying that the way to, to gain honor is to receive those who are without honor, the small children, the least of these, it goes against the logic of that ancient society. So here, Jesus teaches us that the kingdom of God assesses and assigns value differently than in the human realm. See, God will receive those who receives the child. This will give access to true power, the power of the one who sent Jesus. And this teaching was really turning the social structure on its head. And it's what Richard Rohr refers to as the path of descent. 
He says the path of descent as the path of transformation. Darkness, failure, relapse, death, and woundedness are our primary teachers. And we see that this is the same that Jesus taught in the Beatitudes. Matthew 5.3 says, You are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God in his rule. So it's on this journey downward where we can find who we truly are who we are meant to be. It's this letting go of things the world would have us think really matter, our status, our stuff. The path of descent is like this dismantling process where the non-essentials are gone. We move from evaluating ourselves based on the world around us to the inside reality of God's presence and partnership with us. It's a partnership that leads us to understand the importance of serving others, especially those who are considered the least and the last. So then the third story in our passage, it pushes us further still. Jesus spoke up. I'm sorry, John spoke up. Teacher, we saw a man using your name to expel demons. And we stopped him because he wasn't in our group. Jesus wasn't pleased. Don't stop him. No one can use my name to do something good and powerful and the next breath cut me down. No one can use my name to do something good and powerful and in the next cut me down. Jesus says that that what is good is good. And wherever it comes from, it comes from God. You see, he says, don't be afraid if it comes from unexpected places. He says, don't be afraid when something good comes from someone outside your circle. He says, why don't you start expecting for God working in unexpected places to look for it when you see it? celebrate it. In these stories, we see people who don't get it, and we begin to understand what it might take for people who want to get it. That we must take this downward path, this inward path, to get things straightened out so we can live an outward life that resonates more and more each day with the spirit of the kingdom, with the world that God imagines. I don't believe this to mean that we're to seek out suffering to be more spiritual, to be changed, but but then when suffering comes, even when we can, even then we can learn from it. We can be present in it. We can hope that something better can come from it. This is the journey of faith. It's to cast aside fear to find the kingdom of God, the good and beautiful God that is with us in the midst of difficulty, encouraging us to press on, teaching us that sometimes things work better when they get flipped on their heads and that loving others and holding on to hope is better than that fear. The disciples disciples were told that the only way up is down. And this calls me back to one of the great songs of God's people throughout history, the first Psalm. And this particular version is the Psalm one written as a prayer. Happy are those who know good and do good. Their love for the good feeds them continually. They are like trees planted near a river whose roots go deep and wide. They thrive, bear fruit in season, and weather drought without wilting. O God, root us in good and give us life anew. We are invited to plant ourselves like trees by the river, We are like many trees, many people connected to the source of life, the river, God who brings us all good things. And this prayer asks God to root us in good, 
to give us new life. Trees, roots, grow downward so the tree can grow upward and outward. And trees grow from the inside out. This is the path of dismantling death and brokenness that can lead to the kind of life that goes on after it's over. This is the way of Jesus, and this is his legacy of resurrection. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed to some people who want nothing to do with God, and they will murder him. But three days later, after his murder, he will rise alive. Death brings us life. So now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. like to share a sermon or story about Jesus on Not Your Pastor's Pulpit, you can do so by following three simple guidelines. Keep it short, keep it Jesus, and love others. If you would like to learn more about our submission process, please go to notyourpastorspodcast.com backslash pulpit or listen to episode 26. Until next week, go in peace, my friends. Be by your